Welcome to Romance Your Tribe Radio with me, Janet Beckers, where every episode focuses on simple action steps you can do this week to grow your business online and bring joy to the work you do. Hello and welcome, Janet Beckers here, and a big welcome to Romance Your Tribe Radio and my beautiful, beautiful guest, Jeanette Jeffkins. Hi, Jeanette. Hi, Janet. How are you going? Good, good. Jeanette and I have just been hanging out like a bit of a reunion last week when we were um, at Jamie Shranko's um, conference here down in Sydney, which, you know, always feels like a reunion because there's all these amazing people doing things in business that you only ever see every, every, everybody every now and then. And, and we got to hang out quite a bit, which was really, mm-hmm. really lovely. Yeah. And um, it's just so nice having somebody that is really immersed in the internet business world, but in a completely different way because Jeanette's specialty is law, specifically for online businesses. And so talk about huge insights into the industry and things that often us as business owners who are operating online may take for granted or don't think are important or on the flip side may go have terrible fears around things and they just absolutely stop you taking action. So it's really lovely to have someone like you, Jeanette, who's behind the scenes and knows the consequences of not doing things right and what things are important and what things aren't. So that's what we're going to be talking about today. We're going to go over um, the legal life cycle of a business and yeah really learn here from Jeanette like what what things at what stage in your business are really really important um Mm -hmm. yeah so before we do that Jeanette I would just love to introduce you to everybody here so and a little bit about your story because in law there are so many different areas that you can go into so yeah (laughs) led to you specialising in online law? Um, Well, when I started my legal career, I was actually in litigation. So I was turning up to court. I was in dispute resolution. And I got to a point after about five or more years where I realised I was just banging people's heads together. And there are a lot better ways of doing things. Um, Nobody wins in court except the lawyers. And I freely own to that but there are other ways to help business people and what I really wanted to do was to help business people and in doing that you know you can do the same thing all the time and you can stay in private practice and work for other people and I ended up moving into businesses so I moved inside businesses as in-house counsel and learned Ah, really what it's like to run a business Uh, So that gave me a whole different perspective on the way the world works. Mm. And at the same time, my husband's a computer programmer and he was doing all this stuff in the online space and I was beginning to meet people in the online space. And um, a business colleague of ours said they really didn't understand what was happening online and they really would like to understand it better. So I started reading up and I found it really interesting. And the businesses, the people who are going online, it's a really fun space to play in and you get exposed to this huge variety of business and unique ways of doing things and new ways of doing things and you learn about all these different technologies and it 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 was just really fun um Mm. so in about 2010 I started actually really focusing what I was doing um outside of my day job 
on understanding the online space. And I started uh, setting up an adv- a legal advisory service for people doing business online. And it kind of grew from there. Um, and it turned into eventually in um, 2015, Onyx Online Law became the full-time legal business that I now operate. Right. Uh, and, you know, we now have other legal staff and a growing team and growing up as a business ourselves. So um, it's been an interesting journey. Yeah. And you know what? I A few things that I picked up from what you were saying there, which for people who are listening, I think are really important lessons for you. When I'm looking at Jeanette's story in, in terms of her own personal business growth. So not necessarily looking at the legal stuff yet, but there were a couple of things that you did. And one of them was that, you know what, I identified that there was, first of all, that I liked working with businesses, but actually then went into businesses. So you've got to really see what it was like. And I love that idea because a lot of times people will go, oh, look, I'm really interested in this particular industry but they never take an opportunity to immerse themselves into it. So they don't necessarily understand it. So their understanding of the issues facing there can be a little bit superficial, maybe from having one client with it where they've thought, oh, I think I'll go down this track. So I think that's really admirable and it's so and it's something for people, you know, for dear listeners, (laughs) you know, to think to yourself, you know, is there an opportunity for me to immerse myself in this industry a little bit more? And then I also love that part about seeing that particular niche and really immersing yourself in learning it. So that's that next stage that means that you just haven't said, oh, this is the business I'm going to go into. You've actually, you know, evolved into it. And just that very last one, which for me is the clincher in any business, is she said it was fun. I mean, yeah, awesome. You know, <laughs> that's yeah. going to keep you going. So, Absolutely. Yeah, I just love the way that you charted the way to where you are now. It's um, It means for me as from somebody who then is also, you know, um, Jeanette's going to be helping me with, with a, 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 an exciting project that I've got coming up. And, um, you know, you're, when you're knowing that you're going to be working with somebody, you know, you really want to do your due diligence. And a big part for me is not just what work have they done and who they've worked with, but also are they going to be around for the long haul? Like I'd like to build relationships yeah. that go for decades with suppliers, not just something that's a one-off. And a big part about that is do they really enjoy what they're doing? Like have they evolved there rather than I'm just thinking I'm going to target this niche for a while. So, um, you know, because that's really, really common, you know. Yeah. And it's opportunistic it, niche choosing. It's a huge amount of effort. You know, from my perspective, that's a lot of effort that would have to go into I'm just going to do this niche for a while. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but you know what? I know this may, I can relate to this because I had started going down niches that did not give me joy at all simply because the numbers stacked up. Hello, how to convert your car to LPG gas. Who gives a toss? (laughs) Yeah, who gives a toss? So, you know, there's no no way that I was ever going to stay in that industry for a while, Mm. (laughs) even long enough to launch the program. But, you know, that's. (laughs) You know, so that's the name. You know, if if you've ever been in that situation, don't beat yourself up about it. It's just part of evolving. But 
yeah, really think about sometimes you might look back at what you've been doing and thinking, oh, you know, my path to here was 10 or 15 years. That's good. You know, yeah. you're coming from a solid background. Yeah. So thank you. Thank you for the insights into Jeanette, the businesswoman, um, behind Jeanette, the lawyer. So now let's look at um, the problem that people have got, which is when it comes to online business, there's you not only have the legal sites that go with just business in general, there's also the, the really specifics to online. And I find um, people tend to fall into two groups. They've either gone, oh, look, I'm so, I need to know to protect myself. I'm really worried about so many things and I'm worried that I'm going to be caught up in some legal issue that I'm not protected against. And it can be enough to stop people actually going online and I actually surprisingly from a lot of the people I know I don't think that's the majority because I'll get a lot of those people but they're not necessarily the majority and they'll they'll have a lot of fear stopping them the other side and my hands up here a lot as well is the entrepreneur who just get me out there the optimistic sort of like yeah let's make this happen we'll go oh look we'll work out that legal stuff I'm gonna be fine Totally fine. Or I'll just go and look on as many websites as I can. Copy, paste, copy, paste, copy. Oh, gosh. Yes. Please don't do that. So <laughs> I, would, I actually suspect that that's the majority of us. So what would be really good is, so if we were talking just before we came on about the, you know, there's, a, there's actually a life cycle, a legal life cycle online. So yeah. keeping in mind that, and I'll be really interested if you're, when you're listening, like which of those two camps do you fall into? I'd love to hear it. Uh, you know, just however it is that you're going to comment down below, send us a message, whatever it is, just share and let us know. I'd really like to know. So knowing that this is probably the two fields, the directions people are coming from. Yeah. Let's dive now into the four stages in the life cycle and let's see if we can have a look to help people in both sort of camps like things that they need to be aware of at each stage so um over to you baby so what's the first stage so the first stage is really setting up your, right. your startup phase and exactly what you were saying you've got the people who are consumed with fear and the people who just run with it yeah. and there are there are risks and opportunities in both camps so mm. Coincidentally, I've worked with two people in the sort of consulting advisory space, um, both with some health um, aspects to their service delivery in the last sort of six months. Yeah, right. And in those two different camps. So the first one was, is actually in a regulated health industry. So has a whole lot of compliance issues to deal with and was terrified of the whole online aspect of doing business mm. but needed to be there because there was a demand People yeah right to be able to find her services and all of that sort of thing so the way we worked with her was understanding the compliance and I have a background in health in Australia so I I'm familiar with the national system I've been on some regulatory boards at a national level 
I, I have a really good understanding of, of health space in Australia. So I was able to work with her and what we did is we did a complete review of her website. We tweaked some words here and there. We gave her a structure and some strategy on how to work forward with that and we put in place all of the minimum compliance things that she needed in order to move forward with her business. So that, fit, that fitted with her budget at that level. But we also gave her pardon me, some sort of where to go in the future. So if this happens in the business, here's some things that you can consider. And if this happens in the business and so on, so that that she had a framework where she, you know, she was comfortable with where she was at right now. She could launch what she was doing and she knew where she was going and when she could come back to us in the future and sort of say, okay, right. move forward, here's what we need now. Um, on the other end of the scale was yeah. a lady who just launched and coincidentally had no health qualifications whatsoever. So 30 years of experience uh, her own learning, her own um, training, her all of these things, but no, no university qualifications, no specific, you know, things that she could rely on. And she just launched, and she made a whole lot of promises on her website, and it terrified me, to be honest. Right. I've seen clients sued and had to pay vast sums of money, or go bankrupt, or both. Um, because they've made promises that they can't then back up. And they've made them with good intentions. Yeah. And not knowing the risks. But, for example, a client um, made some representations about cancer and said they had a particular service which could help identify um, markers for cancer. And the Cancer Council discovered them and got very upset with them and reported them to the regulatory body, which then took them to court and sued them, which meant that they ended up with 300000 worth of fines. They believed in what they were selling, but they weren't able to produce for the court's benefit medical research reports that supported what they believed. Right. So for the startups then... If we think about, sorry. You so were, for the startups, if you're in a regulated industry, yeah, you need to be more careful. Yeah. And so what would be the main things? Like would they need to perhaps look at some regulation body that they've got and see? That's a great place to start. Yeah, yeah. right. So if you've got a membership organisation that supports your industry, um, they usually have a huge volume of resources to help you move forward. Right. And if you're already paying membership, go and use those resources, for goodness sake, please, mm. um, because they've done the work and yeah. they normally work with legal firms. I work with a couple of different um, industry organisations as well and we help create templates and all sorts of things for their members to use. Um, so that's a great place to start. Yeah, that's brilliant. And what if you're, like, I'm just looking back to when I started and we're going back quite a while now and my, you know, I've got a degree but nothing to do with what I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, first of all, it started with me just interviewing the most successful women I could find. So I wasn't necessarily making promises because they were the experts. But when it then started to evolve into people saying, Janet, I want you to coach me, and then, Janet, can you share step-by-step step how you 
got your results. Again, there's no regulation body. And I just kind of went, yeah, okay. (laughs) Um, And I'm sure that there are a lot of people listening that are a similar thing, that they've kind of, you know, you haven't gone and done a qualification, but you have got experience. You've got runs on the board. You've got results either for yourself and then you've got results for other people and then you can go forward. So what would, for that startup, what, what would be ways that you can protect yourself from examples such as you gave? So it may not be necessarily in health where I can certainly see absolutely you can really come in but if you're say more of a um, business to business perhaps even or um or you may be a life coach so business to consumer yeah so in those situations where you're offering a service based on experience and based on on past successes the clearest best thing you can do to protect yourself particularly online is just have a disclaimer Right. So you will find if you go into websites, often in the footer there is reference to a privacy policy or legals or terms and conditions or whatever, put a link to a page that says disclaimer. And what the purpose of a disclaimer is just fundamentally to let people know what you can do and what you can't do. And in that document you can pull back on any promises. So what you're saying is, you know, I'm everything I tell you is based on my experience, but your results are going to depend on the actions that you take. Yeah. Um, I can't promise that you'll get the same results I did. You know, I don't know what you're doing. I don't know how you're applying the information that I'm giving you. So I'm giving you the information based on my experience, what worked for me. I'm not promising it'll work for you. I'm just sharing what I did. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. Mm. So that's fundamentally what you're doing in a disclaimer. And you can do it. I'm all for people doing it in plain English because we communicate with each other as human beings. Mm. And the purpose of a disclaimer is to remove an element of confusion from your customer. So... Imagine explaining what you're doing to your customer to ensure that they're not at all confused about promises you are making or are not making. Yeah, that's, I mean, I I love that whole keeping it simple in language that people can understand because, you know, that's like, you know, for us, we, our, the link we have on our website is called legal blurbs because really that's how I think of it is legal blurbs and, um, and I love that really simple of, you know what, you know, sometimes I've seen people that have put there going, you know what, I've got these results and I, you know, this is what I've got. But for all I know, you're going to sit on your butt and do nothing. Like they've actually used that kind of language. And that's, I love that. I yeah. think that's brilliant because you're, you're not, the whole purpose of a disclaimer is to demonstrate you're not aiming to mislead anyone. What you're aiming to do is share information with people from a really honest, authentic position. Um, and exactly, you can't influence what somebody else does. You can do your best to help them, but you can't guarantee they're going to do what you ask them to do even when you yeah. give them the best advice. <laughs> and so just one more thing on that startup, and it probably counts for everything else as well. Is yeah. One of the questions that I get asked a lot um, from clients is when it comes to case studies and testimonials yes, and protecting yourself and making claims. So do you have some advice for people on that? 
Yes. So definitely if you're in a regulated industry, you need to go and check back on your industry compliance regime. And that that's not necessarily legal. There are ethical obligations that overlay legal. So they're right. legal, legal trumps ethical uh, in a court of law. Right. But in a membership organisation where people can kick you out of the membership organisation and you want that little badge to give you credibility, ethics is most important to an organisation like that. Oh, that's a great distinction. I love that. That's good. Well, I, I, as I say, I work with industry organisations and you've got to be really clear for members as to where their responsibilities lie because they have to be legally compliant. But they also have to understand that from an ethical position, this industry organisation is trying to hold you as a, you know, a cut above the general riffraff. Um, right. <laughs> so they're, they're setting a framework for you. Um, and what you need to do is go and look and see if they say they have any commentary around advertising because a lot of industry organisations are very conscious of how people represent themselves to the public and they will give you a framework and they will say, no, you can't do this. Um, or maybe you can do that, but there's certain ways you can do it. So, again, the health industry is highly regulated. Yeah. In Australia, the health legislation says you cannot use testimonials. The legislation. Yes. I know. It's crazy. And it really does impact a lot it does. on marketing opportunities. Um, yeah. For people who, I, I attract a lot of people who are in various health industries as you do as well Jeanette and it's a big frustration yeah absolutely yeah so so that's a good one for people to know especially for my Australian friends yeah Yeah. testimonials in the health industry you can't do it Mm. Um, and if you get testimonials so if you're talking about your own business and you get a testimonial from someone and you read it and go oh that's a bit over the top um that's probably a key indicator of what you should be using and what you shouldn't. Um, You know, if you think it's over the top when someone's talking about you and it's not just an ego thing, oh, that's, you know, I couldn't possibly say that. Um, Mm. If it is, oh, they've just gone to the extreme, don't use it or edit it and ask their permission to use the edited version. Because some people think they're being extra supportive by being over the top. Yeah. Um, I have actually used a number of uh, testimonials that way. I've gone back to people and said, would you mind if I edit it and use it in this way? Mm, mm. So that's another really good point is with the editorials, uh, with the testimonials, I always, as, as good manners, go back and say, oh, do you mind if I use this on my website and here is the wording that I'm going to use when I do that. Is that a legal requirement for people to do that? Um, So it depends on whether it falls within misleading and deceptive conduct. So the key thing, there is actually something written in Australian legislation again which says you can only use testimonials from real people. Yeah. Scary that that had to be written into anyway. That is um, ridiculously strict. <laughs> it is, um, <laughs> and also in terms of testimonials, that you must have the authority of the person giving it to use it. So right. people might give you a testimonial, and one of the things that I, with terms and conditions on websites where people are getting them through websites, we usually say that we reserve the right to edit them for length 
provided that we don't change the context. Right. So that's the key thing. You cannot change the context or the the meaning of the testimonial. So if, for example, someone gave you a testimonial for a particular service and you just cut out the fact that it was for that service and just made it as if it was generally to the services that you're providing or you finish that service so you cut that out so that it sounds like it applies to the service you're now offering. Yep. That's actually, you can't do that. That is misleading and deceptive conduct. That's interesting. And one more really thing on the testimonials and then we'll move yeah. on to the next one. Yeah. Is a really common one now is people may give you a testimonial, not necessarily saying here is a testimonial, but they will be on, say, Facebook. And it will be a public post, like it's not just even to friends. It's something that's public and it's a comment. And they have put something that you go, whoa, how fantastic is that? Like, hey, I did, I got this amazing result from this program that you did or this opt-in or this advice you gave. Um, Now, with those, I'll always go back to people. I'll contact them and say, hey, I just love what you did. Is it all right for you if I take a screen grab of that and put it on my website? Is it okay with you if I just use those words? Again, because they've put it in a public forum, can you just screen grab it and use it? Like do you have to then get permission because they've actually done that very publicly? Okay, so there's... There's a couple of different aspects to that, surprisingly. So one, the screen grab, if you're taking it, for example, from Facebook and you're putting it onto a website, you're potentially breaching Facebook terms and conditions. Oh, yes. Oops. 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 (laughs) Because what Facebook terms and conditions say is that you are you warrant or you promise that everything you put on Facebook you have authority to put on and by putting something on Facebook you authorize every other Facebook user who has access to that to reshare it but you have no authority to take it outside of the Facebook platform oh okay okay so if you want to take something from the Facebook platform and you want to put it on your website then it is best to go back to the person and get their permission first And again, if they've made a public comment, which you then want to leverage into your marketing, ideally you would get their permission to do that. And you can just do that on an email, but keep a record. Um, And it's just good practice. It's, you know, it's a better way of doing business because you're engaging people in your business. You're giving people credit for, you know, sharing about you. Mm. Um, And you're just... I just think it's a much better way of doing business. And from the legal perspective, it is better to have their permission to reuse that information. Um, In theory, they own copyright in the comment they've made. It depends on how long it is. Um, So if you reuse it without their permission, you could be breaching copyright. So it's not just a representation matter. You know, that's why what I was saying about there being a whole lot of layers of different. Yeah, yeah. Oh, look, I've just, yes, well, I mean, I always ask permission as anyway, but that's a really interesting one. So better than not even to use the screen grabs. Well, um, unless you have a system to demonstrate that you've got permission and, uh, you, you know, you're doing it in an authorised way, and that's why Facebook says you've got no authority to take it out because they're, that is based on their terms and conditions. So their terms and conditions say that if you put it up there, you give permission 
to everyone within that platform to reuse. Yeah. But if you take it out of that platform, they have no control. Yeah. And that's why you have to go back to the person to get their permission to use Excellent. it. Excellent. Okay, that's good. Because the thing that I like about having a screen grab, and I'd always ask people permission anyway, is it... Um, it's, it's authentic. People can go, oh, that actually was real. She didn't just make that one yeah. up. So <laughs> I like that idea. Okay, well, let's move along because otherwise okay. I could spend forever just talking to you about these sorts of things because I get these questions all the time. Yep. So um, is that before we move on to the next stage, is there anything that we need to add in for the startups? For the startups, okay, so the most important thing, particularly for the scaredy scaredy cats yep. who are afraid of going into business because they don't you know they don't know what they don't know yep. um the key thing is look at where you're making money and protect where you're making money right okay don't stress about everything just focus on okay what is making me money and do I need to do anything to protect that? So, for example, if you're a consultant and you're offering consulting services and one of the problems that you come up against is you charge people, say, a monthly rate for four months minimum and after a month they say they just stop paying but they still expect to get services or something like that. Right. If you've got a really clear terms of engagement for the way that you work with them or they work with you, you avoid those discussions, you avoid those issues because it's really clear, like we had a conversation around instalment agreements versus um, memberships and subscriptions and that kind of thing. If it's an instalment agreement where it's a set price but you're allowing them to pay it over time, then you make it really clear up front that they have to pay the whole amount. Yeah. From the, you know, from the time they start as opposed to getting halfway through and saying, actually, life got in the way and I need to go do other things, mm. they still have an obligation to pay the balance. Yeah. So it's about protecting that income. Do what needs to be done to protect that income. Yeah. Everything else can wait. Yeah. Um, you know, and then you, you timetable every three to six months. Okay where do I perceive that I have a problem or a potential risk that scares me? And what can I put in place now to protect that? Because I'm, you know, I'm ready to take that next step. I love it. That is brilliant advice. And, you know, the example you just gave is a perfect one. Um, Yeah, because that's not uncommon if you've got given something. That's why I don't do 12-month payment plans anymore for something because people very often are finished implementing within six months and then they're going, why am I getting paid for this? Oh, it's a membership I don't use anymore. I'll just yeah. let them know. I'll just want to cancel my membership and then you have to go back. Ah, that's not a membership. Yeah. <laughs> um, so it is a confusion. So, yeah, that's and it's great to be able to go, say, here, here you go. That's where you agreed that it was a, a payment plan. So honour your commitment. Yeah, really great one. Thank you so much, Jeanette. That's great advice. Look where no. you're making the money from. What can you do to protect that? Love it. Um, all right, so the next stage. Mm. So the next stage is um, business consolidation. So particularly as a startup, you might be trying this and that and the other to try and, you know, see where you're going to get traction, how you're going to move forward, what you're going to do next. Um, And then you get to a point where you go, okay, this works, that doesn't, I'm going to continue with that. I'm not going to continue with that. Um, I saw one of the um, groups that I'm involved in, actually super fast business, um, there was a forum post from someone who had trialed something. They'd invested a certain amount of money. They trialed it for three months and they went, actually, that's just not making the return I need, so I'm going to can it. Mm. Um, 
you get to a point where you're consolidating your business. So what you need to do at that point is you go, okay, what are the relationships that I have in the business now that I need to keep building? So that might be at this point, you might decide maybe I want some premises, whether they're, you know, in a co-working space or a startup space like Fishburners or something like that, you know, I want to go into one of these spaces. What type of agreement, what relationship am I going to create in doing that? And that's where you suddenly come up against documentation. So I've got a license to use this space, which means it's not exclusive. I can access this area, but I can't keep other people out of it. Or I have a lease of this space, which is exclusive, which means I can keep other people out. Um, Or I'm going into a joint venture with someone and we're going to commit to doing XYZ in order to reach this objective and we're making that commitment for at least 12 months. All these sorts of things are consolidating your business, bringing it together. And if you don't have some sort of process about how do I measure and how do I check that this is working the way I intended it to work? And do I know what my ongoing obligation is going to be? So, for example, you sign up for premises, leases are three to five years in a lot of states. That's a big commitment. Yeah. Um, If you're looking at that kind of commitment, for goodness sake, get it reviewed Mm. because that could be 20 grand a year for five years. Yeah. And it's not, leases are not things that are easy to get out of. Yeah. That commitment can be, if even if you decide you want to get out of the premises, you may still have to pay that commitment until they get someone else in. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. look, that is, that's such great advice. I mean, and, and for an online business, that may not be one of the things that you're initially starting to think about, but you can be developing there. And, you know, I just have a perfect scenario where a lovely friend of mine took up a lease. Um, and because she got a really good deal, if she took it for longer, that's what she did um, and has since become exceptionally unwell yeah. um, that she can't be in that business. And But she's tired. You know, it makes it very, very difficult to then also sell it. So um, that's great advice. That's great advice. And with people who are like an online business, when it comes to that consolidation phase, um, who may not be offline, I really like your advice there around joint ventures because very often that's where you may go a lot as you're starting to grow. Yeah. Um, And for that phase there, when it's really coming to businesses that are online, is there anything else that they really need to be looking at um, at this consolidation phase? So at the consolidation phase, what you want to look at is if you're going into particularly working with someone else or even software, you know, if you want to implement a particular system, is that a long-term thing you're looking at implementing and what's, how do you get out of it? Um, so the getting out of it is really important. But in terms of particularly for going into a joint venture, mm-hmm. if you're going to do that internationally, which is often the case for mm-hmm. online business, mm-hmm. be aware of the limitations in if anything goes wrong. Yeah. So, for example, um, we've done one recently for... Uh, a company in the UK has gone into a joint venture agreement with a company in Canada. And 
we here in Australia put together the documentation to support. <laughs> Truly international. Um, yes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's, 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 that's what I say. It's a huge bundle of fun, what we do. Yeah. Um, but we had to take the parties through the fact that being in different countries, they are very, very similar laws because they're all based on Commonwealth law out of England. Um, but Canada has developed. So they have different laws, they're in different jurisdictions, and we had to go through the whole process of if something goes wrong, what's our dispute resolution process? So that it is not just cost effective for the parties, but also effective in terms of resolving the dispute that they need to resolve. Mm. So in an international transaction like that, it's often geared toward arbitration. And what that means is you appoint a party, it's still expensive, you appoint a third-party arbiter, they look at the matter and they make a decision and you decide that's binding. But then you've got to then enforce a decision. Mm. And this is the thing, what you're doing in business is you're building relationships. And I had this conversation with someone this morning. Look at the relationships in your business, particularly in the consolidation phase. Yeah. And how do you protect those relationships? Because if you look after your relationships, um, you're less likely to have to go back to documentation and say, but this said, and you're not. And, you know, keeping communication, um, keep on the same page with people. The documentation is there because we all have failing memories. Um, very few people remember what happened last week. Yeah. So, you know, two years down the track, 12 months down the track, you go into a deal, you want it documented so that you both remember. Yeah, that's a great distinction. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're referring back to that documentation because you're not happy, have the conversation first. Focus on the relationship, not the document. That is brilliant. Because it's the relationship that is going to take your business forward. Yeah, that is such great advice. And if, if, you know, for people who are watching this on the video, if you saw me nodding when you were talking about international joint ventures and that it's expensive and it's difficult because it's different law, that was me because the only two times when I've been burnt, burnt with joint ventures, they were in a different country and one of them, the relationship wasn't that strong anyway. It was more an opportunity. So I just, I wasted a lot of energy and so did all the other people in the joint venture. Never saw the money. I was out of pocket. 10,000 up front, but then also travel and stuff, you know, to be in this documentary that anyway, really not very ethical people. But, you know, there was nothing I could do. I just had to go, you know what? That sucked. That was a good lesson. Another one was there was a strong relationship. So for me, that was an incredible betrayal. Mm. Um, And so it was very interesting, you know, that going down that relationship mode and where I thought, well, okay, it's not worth a few thousand dollars that I'm out of pocket here, but the relationship, that's really, really sad. So that's a really good, but I've done so many joint ventures over the years, so many, and to have two that didn't work, you know, that's pretty good odds. But it is. Overseas, yeah, be aware of that. So that's, yeah, really, really good advice, Judith. Isn't that funny? As we've been going through each of these, like obviously we're working through the stages that I'm at. I'm going, oh, yeah, I can feel that. I remember that. That was awful. Yeah, I should have known you back then. Um, (laughs) (laughs) So let's now move to the next stage. What is the next one? Um, So the next one is scaling your business. So you're looking to grow. And this is actually where we're at at the moment. 
Um, so the kind of things that we're looking at in particular are systems, processes, intellectual property. How do we really look at the value of what we have in our business in order to leverage it? Right. Um, so we're looking at uh, making sure that we have our systems and our processes documented because if you've got them documented, then you can share them with more people. And we're bringing in more staff now and right. this is a really small team and I could individually train the staff, that's fine. Yeah. But we can see that in the next 12 months we're going to get to a point where me individually training staff is probably not the most benefit to the business. Mm. Um, so if you document, and this is, again, we we're talking about our friend James, what he does, he sets out um, standard operating procedures. Yeah, creating that so that you have it's basically you're creating your operations manual and our business what we're doing um is we're actually setting up a wiki right so our wiki will have everything you do in our business mm. and as we create more things here's more processes on how to do it and it's to ensure that we get you know in terms of building your database your online database because we run a paperless office so all of our information is online yeah and it needs to be consolidated into project matters so or our you know our legal files and if you know an email doesn't get filed that's a problem so we need to make sure there's a process to double check to make sure all of the emails get filed to the projects and that kind of thing um so it's sorting out your operating procedures. It's sorting out what your business looks like. If you had to show it to someone from outside, um, what would make them want to invest in your business? And this is why, I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the banks that you deal with publish their own business plans, frameworks. So you can go to any bank website and if you search business plan, you will find that they have their own template. Right. So if you think you want to borrow money in your business to reinvest back into the business to help scale the business, go to your bank's website, find their business plan, put your business plan in their format because that is going to help you go and talk to them about them lending you money. Oh, I love it. Oh, that is a great tip. You know what I just found really interesting about this thing here because, again, like I've been going, yeah, that's our big thing here at the moment is our our operations plan and, and changing the format because the format we've had has become not working so well now that it's growing and we're going to the next stage. So it's, it's that interesting. I'm sort of going, oh, yeah, okay, up to this stage. Um, <laughs> so this is interesting because I've, I would always have put that thing of, you know, putting your, your, all of your operations in a, in a format that, you know, your team can use and that, you know, you can change, you know, who's got access to it. For me, that would have fitted under the, 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 the hat of like business operations, but I had never really thought of it falling also underneath the legal. Well, I mean, well. you've got, yeah, exactly. Because if you think about it, if someone, because in scaling a business, what you're trying to do is create value. 
and for whatever future you want in that business, whether it is you think you might sell it in the future or you want investors to come into it or whatever your end game is going to be. I mean, for some people it's it's listing on the stock market um, or get, getting venture capital or, or whatever it is. Whatever your end game is, um, that's how you demonstrate value in your business because mm. you're able to say to people, yeah, we can hand over our business as is and particularly an online business, the, pardon me, the online businesses that are low touch in terms of automated as possible generating revenue, they're worth a lot of money because, yeah, you know, people don't have to do a lot to keep them working mm. and they're worth more money if you explain to people exactly how they work and what your future plans would be if you kept it. Excellent. You know what I love about this is when we talked about the startup, the focus was on protecting where you're making the money. Yeah. Then as we've developed, we've gone into the consolidation, it's very much protecting those relationships that are helping you to consolidate and build that strong business. Now we're looking at not just protecting what you're doing now, but forecasting on where you have got potential to be making money um, and preparing yourself to be able to protect and present that. Well, so. now we're protecting the whole of the business. Mm. We're protecting the thing that you've created because because in startup you don't really know what you're creating. You've got yeah. an idea and you're, you're still learning. Mm. And in consolidation phase you're getting rid of some of the chaff and you're really focusing on, on you know, where the business is going and what you're going to achieve. Yeah. And in the, in the scaling phase you're going, okay, yes, this is working and we're going to ramp this up to add value and so you're putting in place the things that protect that value in the business. Excellent. Oh, I love it. Yeah. And so we're we up to the next stage? Well, also just in that stage, yep. protect it, not just systems and procedures, but your intellectual property. So your yeah. systems and procedures are one aspect of your intellectual property, but you also have, you might have a brand that needs to be protected at that yeah. point. So you might want to look at trademark protection. Mm. Um, I don't talk much about patents mainly because they're very expensive to get and you need to have the money to enforce them, to make them worthwhile. Yeah, right. That's a good point. Very good distinction. Yeah. Mm. So patents work where you've got pharmaceuticals, which are going to generate you know, vast sums of revenue for many, many years, they may not be worthwhile getting for something that doesn't have that scope. Yeah. Um, It's worth, if you think you need a patent or you want a patent, it's worth talking to a patent attorney. Um, But you need to understand if you don't have the money to enforce the patent, you may have gone through that process, spent all that money, and achieve that goal only to lose it because you're not enforcing it. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, And just on the trademark one, that's actually one of the ones that I have done. And it wasn't necessarily like I've got wonderful web, wonderful web everything. That brand we've kind of retired now. But Romance Your Tribe, I trademarked that years ago. Um, Simply not necessarily because you know, it's like a patent and you're going after fighting it. But it was an important thing because I witnessed a client who they were using a brand that they'd made their whole website on um, and then somebody else who had that 
you know, went to them and said, you've got to change this. They had to close the whole business and start like rebrand again. And I thought, you know what? I'm not going to be in that situation. I'm going to, it's like a defensive rather than like an aggressive sort of, you know, patent holding. It was a, I'm just going to protect myself so I can say, I was here first, so no, you can't tell me to stop, you know. <laughs> um, and that's interesting because it's different in every country. Right. So trademark protection is, is jurisdictionally limited. So yeah. you get trademark protection in Australia, it applies in Australia. You get it in the US, it applies in the US unless you're dealing with Facebook and they just think that US applies everywhere. Right. Um, <clears throat> I have small issues with that. Uh, it, you know, if you get it in the UK, it applies in the UK. And the law is different. So yeah. in Australia, we can actually get a trademark three years before we start using it in business. But in the US, you can't. You have to demonstrate that you're already using it in business before you can get your trademark. Right. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So it's you need to be aware of how it applies in the country where you are. Um but one of the very, very simple things you can do in the startup phase is do some Google searches and see who else is out there and, and what they're using because even though they might be in another country now, with the scope of online, they could be here wherever here is for you um, next year. Right. Great and, uh, point. That's an excellent point. And I've had that problem with a client. So we had a client who was sourcing a product from the UK, using the brand from the UK. It was trademarked in the UK. It wasn't trademarked in Australia. He was operating that business for four years. There was a different trademark holder, same trademark, same product, everything in the US. They came into the Australian market. And they registered the trademark here in the Australian market. And then 18 months after registering, they went after my client and said, you're breaching our trademark. Now, there are technical legal rules, which meant that he probably could have continued to use it. However, that would have meant three years and 150000 in court and no certain answer. Because I tell people, you, your chances in court are no better than 50-50, regardless of the strength of your case, for yeah. a whole lot of reasons. Yeah. Um, so what we did with him was we sat down and we went, okay, where's the money in your business? And the money was not in the brand. The money was in the database. So we protected the database. We made sure that he could shift the database. We got him to rebrand his business, which did cost him forty grand, but... He spent $40,000 and we gave him 90 days because 90 days is enough time for him to get the job done but not enough time for them to not launch proceedings, uh, for them to launch proceedings. So, you know, oh. it's a reasonable time frame. Yeah. So we negotiated that and within the 90 days he rebranded his business. It cost him 40 grand to rebrand. He kept his client base. He didn't lose any revenue at all through his business. Um, he spoke with his supplier in the UK and they rebranded everything he was being supplied. Oh. Um, because of this we negotiated the ability to sell what he already had branded and these sorts of things without having to make an account of profits. So we basically restructured his business in 90 days. We avoided going to court. He kept all of his revenue and he kept his business. And then they had demanded he hand over his domain name. We got them to buy his domain name. Oh, good. So yeah. then his legal fees were reduced because he got that, recovered that 
money back in them buying the domain name. So, you know, that's a different strategy for doing business. And that's part of your consolidation phase. If you think you're going to have a problem with a brand, then look at where the value is in the business. And if now is the time to rebrand, now is the time to rebrand. I love it. it. You know, the thing that I really love again is you have reinforced where is the money in the business? What do I really need to protect rather than everything. I love it. That's a, that's such a great approach to anything in your business. Like where is the money? Where do I protect? Where do I focus? Where? Yeah, that's brilliant. So we better move right along to this last one. This is just, yeah. you have just given the most amazing, like this is a total masterclass. Um, so let's move on to the very, very last one. Um, and we'll just do that one very briefly. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the last phase is selling or or exiting your business. Yeah. So you need to start thinking about what's your succession plan? What's your next step? Because everybody runs out of energy at some point, unless you're, I read John Paul Getty and he died in the office at 84 years of age while he was still CEO of the company. Um, Oh, bless his socks. uh, Yeah, exactly. So some people have the energy to continue their business indefinitely and and they hang on to it for that period of time. But if you're not that person, what's your exit strategy and how are you going to implement that? So you're, you're getting ready for sale is not necessarily sale, it's getting ready for exit. And what you're doing is if someone was going to purchase from me what due diligence would they do how would I value my business um where are the loopholes in my business or where you know where are the untidy things in my business where if somebody looked at it they'd ask questions and so it's it's you going through your business from that perspective you you try and take the third party perspective and say okay I'm an outsider looking in how do I make this the best you know irresistible for someone else to want to buy Mm. And you know what? Some people, they get to that point and they go, hey, actually, I've got a great business here and it gives them a whole new lease on life. That actually happens, yep, to a girlfriend who's been a client, yep, did the same thing. I'm going to start my passion business. I'm going to get this other business systemized so I can get a good sale and, and sell it. So she got it all systemized and everything perfect to sell it. And she went, this is actually really easy to run now. <laughs> I can do both. You know, so, yep. yeah, never yeah. sold. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's a great point. And so, again, you know, you're looking at where is the money, but in this time it's like where is it that I can lose money in the sale? Like what's yeah. the way so I can make the sale? So plugging those holes, those obvious things. Brilliant. Um, is there anything else at that point? See, we just nailed that one quickly. Is there anything right. that sale point, that's that last stage, the exit stage that we should add? Um, I would just make sure... It's hard work, but go through and document your assets. Make sure you have your asset register. And the assets are all your online assets. So your domain name is an asset. Your hosting is an asset. All of the software that you have access to, your integrations, all of that, what you've got to do is look at if I changed business now, if I sold, Mm -hmm. what links break? You know, What So you might have a subscription to a particular piece of software or you have your hosting in a particular place, all of these sorts of things. What's going to happen to your business if that moves? Because you need to address those issues for the buyer. Yeah, that's great. Yeah, that's really, I've, again, it's interesting. I've, I've sold one business, my first business, that um, 
And that was a, a really interesting process of making sure I had all of that because they were going to move it to different hosting, different people were going to be doing things. And the other thing that I found was I'm so pleased that I did beforehand is because I was over that business by that time. That was my internet art gallery. Like, just take it, just get rid of it, you know, but, you know, I'll, but give me a lot of money first. Um, but... I was, it was good because they were, they weren't very organized, the people who took it over. So they were contacting going, we need the login for this. And I went, remember, it's all on that one document. Every single thing is there. But I also put into our agreement that they could only contact me for help for one month. Yeah. <laughs> After that, that was it. I didn't want to have a single thing to do with it. And it was really, really valuable to do because there's a lot of people I know who've sold a business that almost end up consulting back to it unpaid. Well, they do. Yeah. yeah. And you need very clear framework in your sale documentation to say, we will provide this kind of assistance. So yeah. I've done one recently where they've actually offered 18 months of support. Right. But that 18 months of support is limited to two hours week per week maximum. Excellent. And it doesn't consolidate, you know, it doesn't add up. It's two hours a week. If you didn't use it this week, it's expired. We will give you up to two hours a week. And it's only on the phone. We're not coming in. We're not doing, you know, we're not hands on. We'll speak it. We'll talk you through it. We might share screens, but that's it. That's the limit. Yeah. That's brilliant. That's really good to know because if you're like me, like you think I'm, I'm over this business, I just think, oh, no, I don't even want to, you know, I just want to remove this from my life. Like, you know. <laughs> But, um, oh, that was just brilliant. You know, thank you so much for staying a little bit longer and thank you everybody that has stuck with us for this point because honestly, Jeanette, this has been like a total masterclass rather than just a simple intro um, <laughs> podcast, which is brilliant because, you know what, as you can tell, like, Jeanette knows her shit. <laughs> really, you do. So there's a few things. I know, For you know, Jeanette's going to be the person that's going to be helping me with, uh, you know, with a new revenue stream that I'm going to be bringing into my business that I want to make sure that I'm protecting and setting up really well for, for all parties involved. Um, so... That, you know, that's, I know I'm absolutely confident that that's just going to work out really well. So Jeanette, for, there's two ways that people can help you. So there's one way where they can go and check you out. I know that you've got a checklist and we're going to call it here romanceyourtribe.com forward slash legal checklist, one word, legal checklist. So what will happen when they go there? Okay, so when they go there, what they'll find is a PDF mm -hmm. and it gives you a whole string of questions. I can t actually tell you how many. It gives you 15 questions and you can also score yourself on those questions and it's, it's a, it looks at your online presence. So what you're doing is you're going through and you're answering questions relating to your online presence and it gives you a score at the end and it also gives you a rating. So Excellent. if your score is, you know, zero to 20, here's your rating and here's what you might do with that. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, it's a, it's a free download and it's to help you just self-assess what you're doing in, in your website particularly um, and it can help you identify where you might want to take some steps to protect what you're doing. That's brilliant. And I love that idea because you can just get an idea and go, oh, yeah, 
I need to fix this up. Like I always find through any of those checklists, those I get those ahas of, oh, so that's best practice just by the questions. So absolutely go there to romanceyourtribe.com forward slash legal checklist. Now, also you were telling me that you've got um, – a, I mean, we won't go into exactly what's in it and the pricing or whatever, because this is, this is going to be a masterclass that people will be referring back to for years. So it may very well change, but you've got a fantastic, um, service that is, you know, a really great intro price that for people to be able to see where they're at that stage and what, what things that they, you know, like a, and a bit of an assessment. So can you just go into detail on that because that could be your first good good first stage that people could um, come to you for. Absolutely. So we've got a, um, a business legal lifestyle checklist. So what we do is we work with you through that because as much as it's, you know, it's developed by a friend of mine, Jeremy Stratton, and he's tried very much to keep it plain English, but there are still some things that make much more sense to a lawyer um, than may make sense to a layperson. Right. Um, so we will talk you through that on Zoom or over the phone or whatever. And at the end of that, it spits out a report and the report tells you where you sit on the life cycle of a business. So those things we were just talking through, those four different stages, it shows you where you sit on those four stages. And it gives you a percentage of, in terms of a startup phase, here's all the things that you might want to put in place as a startup and what percentage of those things you've done. So right. if you've done... If, you know, if you're at a scaling stage and you've only done 20% of startup phase, um, there might be some things we can fix there. And it gives you a checklist at the end saying, here's some action items that you need to action. Right. Uh, and as part of that, because we're focused in the online space, particularly in that questionnaire is not, we'll also give you a report which says, here's your online relationships. And here's the kind of things that you can put in place to protect them. And also here's some costing around both so that you have an idea in terms of forward planning. You can say, I want to implement this now. That I know I'm going to need in six months and I know what kind of money I need to budget for it. Yeah. I love that idea because a lot of times I just assume that anything that I'm going to do with a lawyer is going to cost me tens of thousands of dollars. And you know, from our discussion that we were having the other week, surprisingly, it's not necessarily going to be like that. So it's That's really right. nice to have a reality, like a true number of, okay, when you're ready to do this, this is what you've got a budget for so that you know. So that is a great way for people to start. So where can people find you, Jeanette, so that they can talk to you about that or to get help with anything else? Okay, great. Um, so you can find me at onyxonlinelaw.com. Yep. And the best thing to do to get a quick response is to go to our contact page. So that's forward slash contact dash us. And on that page, it just asks you to give us your name, your website and some details. And that makes it really easy for us to have a quick look at who you are, what you're doing, and then book in a conversation with you or whatever it is that you want to achieve, we can we can step out and say, well, here's what you want to achieve. Here's the kind of cost it's going to cost you. Do you want us to get started? Do you want to timetable it into the future? What do you want to do with it now? Yeah. Um, so that's that's the best way. So, again, it is, it's www.onyx, O-N-Y-X. Yep. 
onlinelaw.com and just come to the contact us page uh, and fill in that contact form and we'll get back to you um, straight away. Yeah, that's brilliant. So make sure you go and follow up with Jeanette. And what I also ask you to do is, as you can see, Jeanette has been incredibly generous with her advice, her knowledge, and um, and it's you know, and for both of us, I know like Jeanette's incredibly passionate and thinks it's fun doing it online. Is fun. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm incredibly passionate about helping people to just get out there and make the difference they're meant to do. So that's why we spend the time doing this for free for you. So one of the very best things that you can do for number one, go over and take and join Jeanette's community. So go and get your checklist, get to know her. But importantly, what really is fantastic for us is give some feedback. So go over to Jeanette. If you go to the contact page or just commenting down below, wherever you're viewing this or listening and, and just share like which of those stages are you at? And from what Jeanette was sharing there, what are some ahas that you know, you that's made you realize some things that you've got to change. And have you taken any action on that? Whether it's just one thing that you take action on today, come and share it with us because it's just the most rewarding thing to know that you've actually listened and taken action. So um, that's, fan, that's that's our biggest ask of you is go and do something with this and then come and share it with us because that is that lights us up. So um, thank you so much again, Jeanette. You've been absolutely wonderful. Um, I'll make sure that we've got links to everything that is there and on the Romantia Tribe website where this will be hosed, um, housed, I'll also put an article there that's got each stage, what are the things that Jeanette shared that you need to do at each of those stages and some action points that you can be doing this week now. And you'll also find all the links that Jeanette's talked about. You'll find them over there. So. Thank you so much, Jeanette, and goodbye, everybody. Go out there and make stuff happen. Bye. It's Janet here. Thanks for joining me on Romance Your Tribe Radio. Hey, you heard our voices today, but do you want to see what we really look like? You can see the video version of this episode over at romanceyourtribe.com and grab the show notes while you're there. And if you enjoyed this episode, I'd really appreciate if you show the love and leave an honest review on iTunes or your favorite podcast directory. I'll see you on the next episode.